Howdy, Rob Lee here, and we're going to get back to the truth in this art. But I want to do a little exercise with you. As you know, the truth in this art is an audio experience. So I'm going to ask you to do something a little different this time and visualize with me. I'm thrilled to reintroduce you to Forged Eatery, a true gem that captures the essence of farm to table dining in Baltimore. At Foraged Eatery, they have mastered the art of sourcing local and seasonal ingredients, resulting in a menu that will leave you in awe. Their commitment to quality and to flavor is simply unmatched. Picture yourself, see as the visual, picture yourself uh, savoring their mushroom stew, a comforting and aromatic dish that transports you to a world of culinary bliss. The depths of flavor and the carefully selected ingredients will tantalize your taste buds. You can swap out and insert the focaccia, which is heavenly, or the irresistible cornmeal fried happy oysters. Each bite is a celebration of culinary mastery. Forged Eatery goes beyond being simply a restaurant. It's an immersive experience where the menu evolves with the seasons. Each visit promises a new and exciting experience for your taste buds, making every moment unforgettable. So, fellow food fans, fellow food lovers, it's time to discover the magic of Forged Eatery. Let their innovative approach to dining and their passion for locally sourced ingredients transport you to a world of culinary excellence. Don't miss out on an extraordinary dining experience. Plan your visit to Forge Eatery today and let your taste buds revel in the true flavors of the season. It's time to indulge in a gastronomic adventure that will leave you craving for more. For more information, visit ForgedEatery.com. Welcome to The Truth In This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. And today I am privileged to be in conversation with my next guest, a restoration carpenter, historian, collector, maker of models, and a miniaturist who was inspired by a diverse array of structures of his hometown where he creates row houses, factories, and shops at a one to 87 scale, imbuing them with detail and realism. Please welcome Matthew Hankins. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for making the time. Um, and, you know, we were able to chat a little bit. It's good to chat with folks before you get into the dance monkey thing. Like, here's a bunch of questions I got to answer them. And so starting out, before we get into like sort of the main event or the main course, if you will, I'm going to go into the sort of appetizer questions, the starters. Um, could you tell me about like your, your background, a little bit about yourself and um, maybe your first, ex you know, experience with art, creating, tinkering, things of that nature? Uh, uh, I was born in Baltimore, but raised in Carroll County um, on a, on a little farm in Hampstead. Um, and uh yeah, just a you know fairly typical growing up in the in the county kind of deal. I um, as as far as art is concerned, my my I grew up in in surrounded by art. Yeah. My 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 father is an artist. Uh, he taught art at um, a couple private schools and public schools in the area, and uh, his background is pottery. He's a he's a, a potter and uh, makes and sells pottery uh dishware and and all that kind of stuff and uh, and my mother uh was a drama teacher 
And so um, we did stage sets and my father built all the stage sets. So I go and help with all that kind of stuff. He taught art, he taught woodworking, um, all, all kinds of friends. We had uh, he would he would do his pottery and set up the kiln and fire the kiln and people would come and and uh, participate. We had visiting artists. We had uh, all of our family friends are artists, so fiber artists, fine artists, the whole nine yards. I grew up surrounded by art, uh, but I was not an artist. Uh, I was, I was the sort of the black sheep. My sister's super talented artist, uh, and people would ask me. They, you know, you get together with, with friends and family and, and things, and people would say, "Wow, you're all this talent in that family. What do you do? What is what is your art?" And I said, "Well, you know, some. I always used to joke somewhere around my elbow, all the art leaks out. I can see it, I can visualize it, but it can't quite make it to the paper or the canvas because somewhere around the the elbow." All the all the art ability leaks out, and uh, and so I wasn't I wasn't an artist. I, I that was not I never considered myself an artist. I sang I sang in a church choir, um, and I made things. I was a maker. Yeah. I'm, I'm a I'm a carpenter, and I got into to woodworking and carpentry and and historic preservation and restoration. Did all that kind of stuff, but that was that was never considered art, and it's only become recently that I have just dis- kind of discovered, if you will, that I am an artist. Uh, and most of it has come by redefining art, mm-hmm. right? By, by, by telling myself, well, the, the, the craftsmanship that I do, um, the, the making that I do, the music that I've done, the, cooking that I've done, all of these various different things are a form of art. <laughs> and specifically, I'm doing miniatures. And that was, so I've always been into model trains and doing doing models and miniatures and things like that. But it was always, uh, it was always modeling. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. art. So right. and, and we're gonna go we're gonna go into that deeper. I don't because you're yeah. gonna give me the whole thing. You're gonna give me the whole thing, and I don't, I don't want the whole thing right now. <laughs> um, but 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 definitely, thank you, thank you so much. Because I think starting off, like it's it's really interesting. I have a comment on that actually. Um, in in doing this podcast and doing it for as long as I have, like you know, it's about six hundred episodes at this point, and podcasting for fourteen plus years at this point. And talking to people who are art critics, curators, people who are artists, and, you know, this sort of notion, this redefinition of it, this, you know, kind of diminishing the rarefied nature that's usually associated with art, it opens it up a bit that, you know, people just ask the question, are you an artist? And you just kind of go from there. It's like, how do you define yourself? How do you perceive yourself? And, you know, always kind of look at it like, when I was looking at some of your work, I was like, wow, I was like, how do you do that again? How how is that done? And I was like, I right. can't do that. And I was like, this guy's an artist. And and, and that was kind of like maybe one of my rubrics, if you will, of like, can I do that? No, artist. <laughs> well, but but it also it's so important to to have that creative outlet, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you know, so many of us get up every day and we go to work and we you know, we crank out a spreadsheet or we 
You know, we 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 produce a, a report or we do we do all these kind of things and you you go to work and you and you do you you have your family and you work with them and you do things with them, and you do all this different stuff, but but having that creative outlet, I yeah. think is just it's so important. And and everybody's capable in some way of doing it, whether it's poetry or or baking or knitting or whatever it is creating something it it feeds the soul mm -hmm. right and so because of that because i've been able to find my piece of art and and recognize it as that i think that's been super important for me and i think it's super important for others who don't consider themselves an artist an artist isn't somebody who can paint a recognizable face on a canvas an artist something somebody who creates something and it doesn't even have to mean anything to anybody else it's right. really creating something for yourself so yeah I, it's yeah figuring that out was a big thing because like i said family full of artists and i wasn't i wasn't one of them <laughs> I, I hear you. I, I like that I'm, I'm gonna steal that from you it's like yeah you know all, all the talent i have just goes right out of my elbow it's just it, it, yeah, it's just here it is like yeah <laughs> so so how did you, know, you you touched on earlier having some like the, this this early interest in like model trains, miniatures, and things of that nature? I I remember, and this is not quite related, but I, I remember um, I had this this kick where I was into watches and model cars, and that's what I was doing. It was just bought a new watch, buying this like nineteen eighty five Corvette model that I'm going to paint and do the whole thing with. And then I was like, I feel like this is eventually going to go to planes. And I was like, I'm going to have a conductor's hat on soon, aren't I? I don't know if you're doing <laughs> so, so stepping back, how, how did you first get into like miniatures and tell us, a, you know, how did you first get into miniatures? Since I got a carpentry question next, but I want to ask about the miniatures. So, so my father did model trains. So it's pretty typical, pretty typical sort of model train story right you get into model trains because your dad was into model trains and dad would set up the train and he had a layout and he would set it up he's only i think we only set it up once it weighed a ton it was all it's a big sheet of plywood with paper mache all over it and and we kept it in, a, in one of the outbuildings on the farm and we would we brought it into the house a couple times and it was just a monster uh but we built a number of layouts through my youth uh, we had a coffee table with a layout in it. We built some layouts at school when he was teaching at the school I went to. So, so it all came through him, this model train stuff. And we were, we were horrible model train people. The trains never quite made it all the way around the, the track and uh, the wiring never quite worked properly. And it was, <laughs> but we had a blast, right? We had a great time, but we, we were not very good at it. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the, that was kind of the introductory. And, and then through that sort of leading to what, you know, what you were going to talk about there is that I'm a building fan. I'm a huge building fan, uh, old buildings in particular. Mm -hmm. And so the train thing, while it's still there and I still have trains and I still have track with wire in it and my trains do actually now run back and forth i've had more success with that recently um but the buildings are what i'm into and that's where the it's again the shift happened into i really enjoy making the building so now i'm making the buildings more than i'm making the trains 
that's 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 great to be able to you know kind of try a, a, a litany of different things and have that that sort of early experience and see you know taking taking it off from you know maybe where you were getting some like influence from your your dad and figuring out for yourself of like all right this is actually the direction where I want to go at and this is what I want to try and I've done a few interviews around like you know historical buildings and I had this like week of interviews with architects and that a lot of their work was around like taking these these buildings with quote unquote good bones and then it's like how can we bring this into how can we modernize this and this sort of modernization and restoration approach um so definitely buildings are, are something for me and I think even when you go to certain cities I always look at the architecture like what what denotes you know what kind of buildings are here what's what's here what's what's here from the past things of that nature and so so talk about how you got into to carpentry though as i want to hear a little bit about that like that restoration carpentry work cuz i've you're like the first carpenter i talked to which is easier <laughs> than 600 episodes <laughs> yeah so well so i was always into to buildings and and that kind of stuff and again you know you grow up on a farm and you you do a lot of you know, fixing of things and work building things and working on things. And, at an, you know, there's that, I think everybody goes through an architecture phase. I'm going to be an architect, right? Everybody at some point in their life decides they're going to be an architect and then they're going to be a veterinarian and then whatever keeps kind of progressing along. And I wanted to be an architect. Uh, and then um, around, I don't know, middle school, fifth grade somewhere, I discovered Old House Journal magazine and discovered that there was such a thing as uh, restoring and preserving older houses. And that's, that was it. That was, that was the thing. I loved, I loved the old buildings. I loved the details, the woodwork, the masonry, the, you know, all of the imagining. I loved history. So it combined a, a love of history and a love of architecture combined into being, uh, you know, a historic preservation um, focus. And uh, and then I discovered that you could get a you could get a degree you could go to college and get a degree in historic preservation so that's what I decided to do, and I went off and got my degree in historic preservation, and I took all the classes the law classes and the planning classes and the you know conservation classes and all this stuff, and in college decided I wanted to I wanted to touch them i wanted to work on them i didn't want to talk about them i didn't want to fundraise for them i didn't want to manage them i wanted to i wanted to work on them and so i went to the north bennett street school in boston which has a historic historic restoration carpentry program and i i spent a couple of years in boston learning the trade and that was great it's like a it's like an apprenticeship leaps you know jump start you you don't you're 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 learning it it's a two-year intensive class and course on historic restoration and carpentry and it's it it also comes as a lot of those programs do with the cachet of the name so you just mentioned that you came out of north bennett street and people are like oh you must you must know your stuff so so from there i was able to go to a museum in new york city and work on a, in a historic museum village uh, for a number of years and work on buildings that dated from the 17th to the early 20th century. I was a caretaker for a 17th century house, the third oldest house in New York City. Um, and then we um, we had our first daughter 
and decided I decided I wanted to be closer to home and closer to support network. So we came down here and I worked for a residential company for a few years. And then I've been working for a commercial restoration company since then. Uh, and I manage a 10,000 square foot restoration mill shop. We're cranking out hundreds, if not thousands of restored windows a year with my crew, windows, doors, trim, restoring, fabricating, replicating whole nine yards and it's it's something man you get to go behind you get to go behind the velvet ropes you get to touch things um you know some really awesome awesome stuff that you get to kind of kind of do um it's sort of when you were describing uh some of the some of the items you and your crew work on or have you i thought i thought you were starting to do a jangle and I was just like, <laughs> I was like, you said, yeah, right. the, the, it's a commercial. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, uh, it's cool. I mean, we've, so we've worked, we did the, we were the primary masonry contractor on the, the Washington Monument in Mount Vernon. Um, we've worked on the Walters uh, Hackerman house. We did all the, we did all the window restoration in the Sagamore Pendry Hotel. Um, we have worked on um, Basilica. We've worked at multiple Johns Hopkins. Um, it's funny when we drive around town or whatever, and my daughter points out a building, you know, oh, look at that. I say, oh, yeah, I worked on that. Oh, yeah, of course. Of course you did. Of course. You probably worked on that one over there, too. Well, yeah, we we, we looked at that one. We never we didn't get the job. But, you know, it's like <laughs> you know, I, I do that it's, when it comes to. Um, interviews that i've done i was like oh, i interviewed them hey it's, it's cool right. and that before they, they caught me for these tickets for this thing um yeah and, and and it's funny like you know some of the places that you you mentioned there i've either been there or i have a relationship with with some of those places like definitely i've been to sagamore stayed there a few times for these sort of staycation it's 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 weird like for me and my partner it's become like a birthday spot for us it's like oh well you want to just like drive down, take an Uber from your house in like, you know, uh, Mount Vernon and just drive down to the Sagamores. Like it's right there. You know, yep. a room, you know, drop your $800 and just enjoy, you know. Well, last time, last time I was there, there was still dirt floors and, uh, <laughs> and, and, and the windows were still getting installed. So it's been a little while for me, but yeah, it's a great, it's a great building. And it, it's, and it, I'm, yeah, I'm always pleased always pleased to see a building like that get a new life because that that building sat down there with all boarded up for a long time and it's it's really great to see it you know hopping and 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 a big big uh car so um yeah it's it's neat it's um you know next time you go next time you're in the in the sagmore check out all the all the big old wooden windows um and you'll know. I know a guy who worked on this. <laughs> it's gonna be real funny. And they were like, "So, Rob, um, and, and by the way, just just to give you the visual, right? Um, I'm six four. So it's like, why is this big dude just staring at the windows here? I'm, I'm trying to figure something out. It's like, yeah, Matt yeah. worked on these. How do you? Who? You know the guy. That's, the thing. That's my whole life. You'll go on a. We'll go to a museum, and I'll I'll be pressed right up against some paneling or something like rubbing it and checking out. I wonder how they got that to go to get right, you know? <laughs> so I would, I would imagine that, you know, you know, I definitely want to dive into the miniatures a little bit and, and, and that work, cause that's, that's one of the, the, the thing that really has my interest. So talk about like having, you know, some, this, this background, this education, this experience in, in restoration and going, you know, and, and, and being in these places 
that just have really like great name recognition and a long lineage and history connected to it. Um, how how did you you know turn to this like avocation of of I use your word by the way avocation of like working on miniatures um, to the degree that you're working on now? Like how did you start? Like talk about that. Talk about the um, the process because I know nothing about that that sort of process. I'm like yeah, someone just drops it off and he paints it. How how does that work? <laughs> so so. I started, uh, you know, when I was doing model trains, you can buy building kits, right? It's just like you buy model car kits, model airplane kits, you buy model building kits. And and generally when you start out, they come in plastic and then they have what they call craftsman kits, which come in, in wood and, and plaster and metal and you can all these different materials and so you buy these kits and you assemble them and you paint them and you and you put them on your on your train layout um and after a while um it became it, it just i wanted something to look different i wanted my buildings on my layout to look different than other people's buildings and i know buildings i love buildings i'm in them all the time and i and i would look at a kit and i would say that's great but it's not quite right. They wouldn't really do it that way. You know, that, that doesn't make sense structurally. And then also, you know, I, I, I want it to look different. And so I started scratch building is what they call it. So you're, you're, you're buying the rough materials, mm -hmm. you buy the wood, you buy the, you know, the plastic and plaster and paper and all this stuff. And then you design it and cut it all up and build it yourself. So you're making your own kit and then making the building from it. Um, and it's um, it's not easy. <laughs> it's not easy because um, when you buy a kit, it's all laid out. All the windows and door openings are cut for you, you know, and, and everything's planned and designed and you just assemble it. And the, the leg up that I have is I know how buildings go together. Mm -hmm. And so now I can take these pieces of wood and I know how to lay out the windows so they look like they're in the right spot and how to um, you know construct something that looks realistic and doesn't look sort of off in some way. And right. so, so yeah, that was, I mean, ultimately what happened was I wanted to make things that looked unique for my own layout. And so I started honing my scratch building skills. Um, and then eventually I got to a point where um, I could build things, uh, specifically Baltimore things, um, because that was the area I wanted to model. Um, and they were, and the, and the city just inspires the hell out of me um, with its architecture. So yeah, so I just started, building Baltimore specific scratch built stuff, which you don't, you know, that when you're, when you're modeling, you can't necessarily go out and buy a whole bunch of Baltimore row houses. You can actually, there are people who sell kits for Baltimore row houses, but there's like one of them. <laughs> there's like one, one kit. Uh, and so, yeah, so it, it was about, it was about build, being unique, building something that nobody else had. So, I mean, that was sort of the impetus for it. Um, and as far as, you know, as far as the process, it really is about, first of all, being inspired by something, some either, either you generally I'm not building something that exactly replicates uh, an existing building. I'm building something that uh, sort of 
borrows from a lot of different things. You know, row houses are great because they're all the same, but they're all slightly different, which which is awesome. Um, and when you build one, there's some things that make them distinctly Baltimore. But yet, if I so if I have one of my row house models and I show it online or whatever, uh, the almost everybody will say, or most a lot of people will say, oh, that, that, that's Baltimore. I knew it as soon as I saw it. But then you'll get a few people who say, oh, that's Philly, or oh, that's St. Louis, or you know. So it's just a, but um, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's just I don't know. I'm rambling again. I'm no, rambling. No, no. You kept me as rambling away. No, 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 <laughs> no. I, I think I think that's 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 really good. So I'll I'll I'll, I'll help and in, in, in direct it in this way. And and I think you definitely gave a lot there because, like I said, I knew nothing in that area. Um, and I would imagine a lot of folks listening to this would say, "Oh, wow, that's what that process is. Uh, that's what it what it's like." So talk to us about like talk to us about like sort of the time that goes into it because I would imagine like. I have like giant hands, right? So <laughs> like painting models and painting something to the scale in which, and, and tell us about the scale as well, but painting something and working on something in the scale in which you're working, I'm just like, I'm going to throw this. I'm just, this is going to get knocked off. <laughs> it's like just Godzilla is here. So talk about, you know, like how long that process can take, you know, um, like what that range might look like from conception to like, okay, I want to do a model on this from scratch modeling to something that's more so like complete and it's finished like what does that like look like and what is the scale and the scope in which you're working so um generally i'll, I'll have and i and i work on projects of various different sizes but um generally if i'm working on say like a, a pair of row houses or something i will i'll sort of have in my mind what i want it to look like and and largely that has to do with you know, um, topography, like, do I want the row houses to step up in a certain direction or what have you? Um, or am, am, are there going to be on a corner? You know, you sort of figure out your, your design, if you will, your inspiration. Um, and then, um, so, so I can, I get a brick laser cut brick sheet. Um, so the brick is already cut for me. So I don't have to cut each individual brick because that would that would be insane. <laughs> so so I buy this brick and then I can I also use window castings, plastic window castings. Generally, sometimes I'll do scratch built windows and doors, but largely uh, I do the plastic ones. And so what you're you're basically doing is just you lay out on the brick your where your window and door openings are, and you cut those openings out, mm. and um, and then I. And I'm doing things like scratch building cornices, scratch building the the bay windows. You know the the big metal bay windows you see all over Baltimore. Um, marble steps, put marble steps on there. You got to have those. You know all these things, all these little components are get slowly getting added uh, on top of it. And um, the uh, so I wear a magnifying optivisor, right? Because um, my eyes aren't that good um and uh it's just a lot of model paints acrylic model paints um learning the techniques to um to replicate what brick should look like what uh cement and concrete should look like what asphalt looks like what asphalt roofs look like um i you know so i so i paint everything 
Um, and then the final step, the, the one that really makes it is yep. that then I weather everything. I my and, and people will notice when they look at my work, my work is generally very heavily weathered, mm. which means that it looks old and worn and dirty. And and what that does is it, it does two things. One, it hides flaws. Right. That weathering is a, is a spot that I can hide flaws. I can hide flaws with weeds and bushes and, and you know, bits of newspaper. I can hide them with um, with dirt and grime and, and, and all that kind of stuff. So it hides those flaws. But then the second thing it does is it creates that scale. So my scale is one to 87 or what's known in, in model trains as HO scale. Um, and so a a, a typical person, a, you know, would be about three quarters of an inch tall. And so um, what what happens is if you paint that with with model paints and, and, and it looks really great, it looks like a toy. Yeah. But once you add the weathering, what happens is it gives atmosphere. So when you're looking at, at one of my models, you're always looking at it from a distance. And so the weathering creates that atmosphere you're looking through a haze so everything dolls down everything looks a little bit muted um and it and it makes it look more realistic and less like a model when you put that weathering on there so and then the third reason i just like the aesthetic right i just <laughs> like the, i like the look of these sort of worn and beat up and and you know but you know sometimes they're completely decrepit and sometimes they're just looking well loved right so but 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 everything gets weathered um even the people if i put little people in there they usually get weathered the cars usually get weathered because it just it doesn't look right if you don't so that's sort of the that's sort of the whole the whole process is you start with a your design and you end by by throwing dirt all over it <laughs> thank you that's that's great and you know, it's it's not it's not the same, but it, it it I started thinking of these these guys that will take maybe reference and they'll take like a you know what is it a epoxy or what have you and take reference from like let's say action figures, but not like toys, but something to like a higher sort of scale or have you. Mm -hmm. It's like I'm gonna swap this out. I'm gonna add this level of realism here. I'm gonna actually paint, and then I'll see them weather it, and they'll compare. Um, what they've worked on, what they spent time on to like what the source material was. And I was like, this is night and day. That looks like a toy. This looks like a model that you made. And yeah, like, yeah there's some artisan thing here. And now you can charge this rate or whatever it is because the people are taking commissions. But it's something to kind of see this looks right as it's weathered. Like I need to see the stubble. I need to see the dirt. I need to see the grime on the person. That's what people have. <laughs> right. Well, and it pop so it, th that weathering helps pop details, mm -hmm. right? You do you do washes and things, and suddenly the especially for instance on figures like that, you'll do a wash, and the and the, you know the, this a lot of those, a lot of those sculpts and and castings for action figures and and people. I mean, they're super detailed, but you can't. It all is just molded in one color plastic, and that's it. But you throw some different colors on there and you throw washes at it or or you paint it and, and define it. And suddenly it's just that original sculpt is just fantastic. So, yeah, it's it's pretty cool. It's I, I enjoy I enjoy all aspects of, you know, all right. History 
old buildings and little tiny things. I like those three things, right? But but people are fascinated by miniatures, right? They love seeing something they recognize, but making it really small. And uh, and it's and it's cool to see that um, you know all those things. There's a lot of really talented miniaturists and 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 model makers out there that are doing this kind of stuff. And it's but yeah, the weathering is super key in my opinion. Otherwise, it looks like a toy. So I got one last real question and then I got like four rapid fire questions. So this this last one, um, just kind of bringing it home. And since we're definitely talking about process or have been talking about process, I'm going to dive into, you know, you can either go in, in this direction or go most recent. But, you know, tell us about one of your favorite projects or one of your most recent projects is I know people get real caught on. I don't have favorites. <laughs> it's like, all right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sometimes the favorite is the last one, right? Whenever the last one was the favorite. Like, do I still have yeah, it? <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, um, yeah, it's hard. I would say so. I did, uh, I did last year, I think. I did, a, I did a, a model of a diner based on one out of Star Wars, nice. and I, and that just tickles me every time I walk past it because as a kid growing up in that time and and having all the action figures and playing with Star Wars, the idea that I made something out of the universe that nobody else has it's kind of fun uh and so i enjoy that and then i think as far as my my like my favorite baltimore centric i love the row houses i enjoy making the row houses but i made a pier uh the light street pier which used to stand down where the light street pavilion of harbor place is there was a big giant pier down big wooden pier where the ferries would go back and forth out to the eastern shore and down into norfolk and that kind of stuff and i built that um and uh that's another one that i enjoy i i enjoy looking at it again passing by it and, and seeing it it's very it's big the whole thing is like 18 by 14 or something like that it's a big model and it's all the way around i did the whole it's not just a facade it did the all the way around so the pier going out in the water and i had to i had to sort of make it up i had some some satellite not satellite 1930s no satellites 1930s some airplane photos from the from the 30s that i was able to reference sort of the shape but i sort of had to make it up which is fun because then i could create something and not feel locked into making it the way it was um but that one's really i i do enjoy that one um and every now and then somebody posts a historic picture of it and i every now and then i'll shoot off a photo of my model Ooh, look i made that <laughs> <laughs> don't forget me <laughs> yeah right that's that's great so thank you thank you thank you and that's kind of the conclusion of the real podcast now it's time to get weird and ask like just just random questions um but i'll give you the the disclaimer that i give everyone don't overthink it whatever you say is what you say is like that's this is what i believed in the moment this is what i was going with in the moment all right so here's the first one okay uh, imagine that you can instantly learn any language which language would you choose french okay I, I've heard someone who is a native English speaker and was like English. And I was like, that's really funny, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I say French, maybe Spanish. See, now I'm overthinking it. Spanish would help a lot at work, right? It would help a lot at work. I, I mean, I do okay. And, and my the people I work with are phenomenal yeah. uh, and very patient. But French, because I don't know, I'd like to go to France and speak French. 
Yeah. I don't know why. <laughs> it'll help you with ordering. It'll help you with ordering food and like, yeah. So this wine would be great and just say it well, should be I, real classy. I also feel like maybe I'd I'd get by a little better in in France, you know, instead of being an, an American in France going, you know, stumbling my way through it. But you know. Can I get a crescent? Yeah. <laughs> like, sorry, you have to leave. <laughs> nope. Yeah. No. Nope, you, sure, you have to leave. We can't do this anymore. You gotta go. <laughs> I, I think it would be Japanese Japanese for me. Um, and that means I'm relocating. That means I'm, I'm now living in Japan because right. There you go. So not, not a huge population here in Baltimore. Uh if if you could travel back, so, you know, tickling the historian uh, note, if you could travel back in time for one day, when would you go? Oh um, man! I'll, I'll ask that question. See, now you're now you're hitting now you're hitting one that this is one that I think about all the time, right? Time time travels like the, the what a what a what a great thing that would be. I believe that it would probably be the late nineteenth to the turn of the century. There's a there's a. Um, there's a time period there where America was really booming, right? The the industry was popping. The you know as post Civil War, a lot of it just we were we were we were growing from a an infant nation into a world power. And and in that time, the things that were happening here were pretty phenomenal. So I think that's probably the time period that I'd want to see is that sort of late 19th century. Now, now, this one is like almost a palate cleanser, right? For the thinking that goes into that previous question. Um, maybe, maybe it is. Because uh, I, I, I know artists, and I'm saying that with a little stink on it, uh, they, they, they never answered this like directly. So I added the plural to it. What are your favorite colors? Because I know no one can ever tell me one color. It's always like, well, you know, it depends on how I'm feeling. It's like, just tell me the nine colors you got. What are your favorite colors? <laughs> Well, so my favorite color is green. I mean, it's been green since I was knee high to a grasshopper, a green grasshopper. Uh, I, I've I've always been a fan of green. Um, in my modeling, it's all earth tones all the time, and specifically, uh, sort of the rust colors of the the oranges, reds, browns, yellows. Uh, they work for brick. They work for rusty metal. They work for dirt and grime. They're perfect, but and you'll notice in my models that I always throw weeds and bushes and stuff because <laughs> and I there's nothing, you know, that your color theory, color wheel, there's nothing like a big orange, brown, red colored building with a piece of green grass in the front. It is hot. <laughs> so, yeah, green. The color, the answer is green. <laughs> so this is the last one I got for you. Um so, so Baltimore is, is changing, right? So what's one building uh, that you've maybe done a miniature for that no longer exists that you would want to bring back? It could be a building in general, but if there's one that you've done a miniature for to bring it all together, you know? Yeah, I, I mean, that pier, man, if I could, if I could have, talk about going back in time, if I could go back and walk through that pier, uh, it it wouldn't work now, right? It's it's a, uh, the fire marshal would have a conniption fit, um, you know. It's a big giant wooden building um, on the, over the water, but I mean, it probably smelled horrendous. It probably was gross and dirty, um, you know. But there's there's a photo 
of that building, the Light Street Pier that appears on the, a lot of places. I think it's Library of Congress, but Shorpy, the, the photo site Shorpy has posted it. And um, it's super detailed. You can zoom way into it and it's just phenomenal. Yeah. And so that's probably, again, I don't know if we could bring it back. <laughs> but i would love to see it. yeah i would love to see it right i just i don't think it could i don't think i don't think it would fly in in 2023 but um but that being said you know they're reimagining harbor place and that whole space yeah and whether they're they're never going to build a big wooden ferry pier down there but the idea of of baltimore reconnecting with the water baltimore doesn't connect with the water we're a harbor city and we don't connect with the water you know we see it but but we we build everything with our back to it mm. and if if harbor could be connected to in some manner whether it be with architecture but with or with ferries or with you know being able to go and buy fresh seafood that literally is coming off the boat in harbor place in the center of ball i mean it would be nice Maybe don't build the pier, but at least bring back the connection to the water. That's great. So in these these final moments here, um, one, I want to thank you for coming on to the podcast. That's pretty much it. You're off the hot seat. I want to thank <laughs> you for, for coming on to the podcast and spending some time with me. And um, I want to invite and encourage you to share with the listeners where they can check your workout, your website, social media, anything that you want to share for folks to tap in and check out the, all of the great work that you're doing. The floor is yours. Super. Well, uh, my website is uh, net, and I can be found on Facebook at Patapsco Falls Division and on Twitter and Instagram at Restocarp. Um, so, yeah, any of those spots, it's um, you can find my work and find photos of it and, and get with me if you have questions and stuff. And Yeah. And there you have it, folks. I want to again thank Matthew Hankins for coming on to the podcast. And I'm Rob Lee saying that there's art and culture in and around your neck of the woods. You've just got to look for it.